Hi, everybody. Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's episode number 578. And this week, Sasha, we've got a great show planned. First of all, we're going to be looking at a, uh, a single board computer. So think in terms of like a Raspberry Pi, if you will. I use that as the example because everyone's familiar with the Raspberry Pi. But it's got six cores of computing power. It's got up to four gigabytes of RAM. And surprise, it has PCI Express built into the single board computer. It's a beast. You'll want to stick around for the unboxing. We're going to look at the specifications as well. Uh, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of fun stuff. We've got viewer comments, questions, and you. Stick around. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show. So nice to have you here again with us this week. I'm Robbie. I'm Sasha. And this week, we've got a great show planned for you. First of all, I'll just let you know we're going to be unboxing something tonight. Now, I know unboxing is like this like cliche on YouTube and everything else, but Sasha loves the I... unboxings. But I am excited about this one because it's a single board computer that has four gigs of RAM and six cores. So cool. And there's more to it than just that. You want to stick around. We're going to be showing it to you in uh, just about a half hour's time from now. Uh, and we've got viewer comments that have been coming in over the past couple of weeks. We're going to be sharing with you as well. Um, so, want to quickly, off the top of the show, just thank again our patrons. Uh, if you head on over to patreon.com slash category5. Really cool way to support Category 5 TV, and it's just a dollar a month to help us out. But because we've got so many viewers, and if you pitch in that way, it only costs a dollar a month, and power in numbers, it helps to pay the bills and helps to keep Category 5 TV strong and, and to help us grow. And everything else that comes with doing a live show for free, um, you're, able to, you're helping us with that. So thank you to our patrons. Incidentally, on our Discord channel, there is a patron-exclusive channel so if you are a patron all you have to do is follow the instructions on our patreon page and you will be able to have access to that channel as well it's just a little place where you can communicate with us um, when we're off the air and uh, have a bit of a chat with other patrons as well um, speaking of ways to support us, Sasha, Cat5 TV Miners. Uh -huh. This is a cool piece of software that is available through my GitHub at github.com slash cat5tv. And what it is, is it's a Linux mining tool for cryptocurrency. Okay. And it, um, it allows you, our viewers, to install a piece of software voluntarily um, that will mine cryptocurrency and donate um, a portion or even an entirety of the cryptocurrency hashes to Category 5 TV. So it's kind of like building a nest egg. You know, the value of cryptocurrency mined by CPU and GPU right now is not very high, but the expectation with cryptocurrency is that the value goes up. So um, if you're able to help us with that, um, that's really cool. So for those of you who are already familiar with Cat5 TV miners and are already using it, just note you do need to reinstall. There's a couple of big upgrades that have happened over the past couple of weeks. 
First of all, there is now Bitcoin mining for both CPU and GPU. And you say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense because there's a lot of ASICs out there. And so a lot of folks are mining with really, really powerful, dedicated hardware and server farms and things like that. So how does it make sense for me with my little GPU to be mining Bitcoin? And fact is, is what we've done is I've pointed it to a pool that shares the blocks with anyone who mined to that pool. So the way it works is if there are a hundred of us all mining that cryptocurrency, it goes into that pool. And then when we find a block, it divvies that out, which a portion of that, again, will go to Category 5 TV. That's smart. Yeah, it works really, really well. So that's one of the updates. So Bitcoin is a, is a big deal. Um, also, um, I've changed the turtle coin uh, pool mm-hmm. to, to one that is going to give faster payouts, and it seems to be doing a lot better. We were, we were getting about 3,000 turtle coin per month or so okay. as things tapered off at the pool that we were at. It used to be a lot stronger, um, but it, it seems to have died off. The pool that I moved over to is, is currently dropping us about that in a day. So um, turtle coin is not worth very much. Not very much indeed. But again, it's based on Bitcoin and it can go up in value. Right. So that's another cool way that you can support the show. And if you don't want to use it necessarily to only support the show, you can just change the wallet address in the software. And it's Linux only right now. There is a, I tinkered with a Windows installer and everything, but truthfully, I'm, I'm more focused on Linux. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's where my heart is at. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to look at the Windows installers again, if, uh, if that's of interest. Thank you, Garby, for posting the link as well. Um, but uh, you can actually change. So let's say you wanted to get in on TurtleCoin. Right. The, the funny thing about TurtleCoin, because it is so low valued, the reason it's so low valued is it's, it's in massive quantities, really big supply. Right. Okay? Bitcoin is worth a lot of money because, and this is just a, you know, painting a very broad picture here, but Bitcoin is becoming harder to mine because it's right. rarer. It's if like you a will. supply and demand thing, right? Yeah. It's like expensive because there's not a lot available. It's hard to get a Bitcoin. Very, very hard to get a Bitcoin. So why is it worth more money? That's why. Uh, It's really easy to get TurtleCoin. Because right. there's lots of it, and there's every 30 seconds they're they're sending out blocks. So, um, so you can get Bitcoin, uh, you can get Turtle Coin a lot faster than you get Bitcoin. But Turtle Coin is based on Bitcoin price. Bitcoin. It's price? one Satoshi. Like, so like yeah. a, a very very teeny 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 fraction of a Bitcoin. So you need like a billion of them to have one single Bitcoin. But a Satoshi is a billionth. I think so. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, but you get about 3,000 a day in some cases, like if you have yeah. our hash rate. So, um, but what you can do is you can say, okay, well, this is the one I want, or I want to try Stellite, or I want to try Monero. Monero is doing pretty well as right. well and is still mineable. So you can take Cat5TV miners, supplement our wallet address with your wallet address, right. which you can create, and then you will actually be mining to your own wallet, and a small portion of your mining power will also go to Category 5. So you're able to take so a commission off of the cryptocurrency mining, and then you give us uh, a portion of that to Category 5 that way as well. Right. Just easy kinda cool. in the background, kind of... Yeah, you just run it in the background of your computer, or some people set up a dedicated computer with a couple of graphics cards because that does, you know, that has a lot more power than a CPU. Right. And then you're able to do, uh, you're able to get some more hashes, which means presumably more cryptocurrency in the wallet. Right. It's crazy, Big, right? Bulky wallet. Yeah, it's it's such a world, <laughs> such a crazy world. But we know that it's at the blockchain. We know that it's growing. We know that it's exciting, and we appreciate everyone who is participating in that. 
please reinstall. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you install that as well. Okay, I'm going to jump over to my laptop because we are looking at the Cat5 TV viewer location map. And what we see here is our grand old world. And we haven't looked at this in a while, so I just wanted to point out where people are viewing from. So, you know, how big is Category 5 TV? Well, these are the pins that represent all of the internet nodes who have connected to Category 5 TV like this week. global, except for Greenland. Where, where are you at, Greenland? Yeah, so. we've been really having trouble breaking into the North Korea market. Um, but, you know, that we'll, should change. Yeah, all right. We're, yeah. Go, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, <laughs> let's, let's take a look around. So let's head on over to, well, let's head overseas here, or at least overseas for us. Maybe not so much for you because there's a lot of you out there. We've got viewers all around. We've got Poland. We've got uh, Germany. We've got France. We've got the UK and Ireland. Yeah, I feel like... Like Solbu's somewhere up in there. Too. Oh, yeah. 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 Sweden. Even Sudan and Ethiopia. Can you imagine we've got... If you're one of those viewers who are watching from Ethiopia, we'd love to hear from you. But this has taken the IP addresses of people who have been watching Category 5 TV, and it puts them on a map. Right. It's not snowing in Ethiopia right now. I not too that. likely. Not too likely. <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's head on overseas here. Wouldn't it be nice if it was that fast? And when the hyperloop is finished, it's just like that. Boom! We're there. We're there. Uh, Mexico and Venezuela is not really watching us right now, but we Columbia. do have someone in Trinidad and Tobago, nice. um, as well as Barbados. So sitting on a beach somewhere, sipping a mojito, watching Category Five on your phone. Right. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, yeah. Colombia, this is cool. Yeah. Uh, my sister Mary went to Columbia once. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, folks over in Cuba are really just relaxing in the mm -hmm. sun right now, I guess. I, I don't know. I hope so. Uh, Mexico City, heading a little bit further north. Our and I don't, I don't want to omit, like, the Florida coast and... Like, look at, look that's at all your That's actually incredible, because Florida's taken a big hit weather-wise. Yeah, and here and that's why it's, I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, eh, you're maybe not, not on the beach today, but we're thinking of you as anyways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, North Carolina, as you mentioned. Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Uh, let's head uh, out west here. And if I'm missing you, hey, make sure you point it out. In, uh, it, look at Ontario. Look at us up here in Canada. Come on, Canada. Let's jump down over to L.A. <laughs> Yay! Yeah! Hello, sunny California. And here's Victorville over up in here to the northeast. And, of course, now we don't see... Here's the other thing to take... Uh, oh, and I'm sorry, I didn't have you, you folks up there. Um, one of the things here, like when you see Victorville, for example, and, and the high desert. Well, we're on cable TV down there. So right. you may not be watching through your internet connection, so we don't really have a log that you're watching. Let's, uh, let's head back over to L.A. I know that I missed, uh, I missed the camera transition there, folks, for a moment. I apologize. Let's zoom out just a little bit. There you go. So there's the U.S., and let's look back at the eastern coast here. And there's our, our viewership up there. And, and as I was saying, up into Ontario, northern Ontario, northern Canada... It's a ghost town. Right. I mean, we don't have anybody watching in Caribou River. I don't know that anybody's in Caribou River. But here, let's, let's look at southern Ontario. Here we go. This is where it's a little bit warmer. There's Toronto. And there's Barrie. Yay! So that's where we live, folks. 
If you're ever wondering where so, we're broadcasting from, that's us. it only show one little us. ticky boo? It shows one little ticky boo per node. So if... If you and I from Barry are using the same internet service provider, we're probably on the same node if we're in. Think of oh, it like okay. infrastructure and, and you know, the World Wide Web works by everybody interconnecting. So right. it's not like that's not the pin sitting on the top of our house. No, that's like that's the region that your oh, ISP okay. is in. So it could be if you see one pin that could represent 400 people. It could oh, represent okay. two people. Right. Could be At any least one, of one person. At the very least, one person okay. or one robot. Ooh. Now, if you're watching through, say, Facebook or something, it's not going to ticky-boo that, is it? No, this, this logs RSS feeds, yeah. website visits, people watching through our website, um, and that's, that's really it. So okay. these are folks that are on our website or watching through the RSS feeds, that kind of thing. Cool. So doesn't log YouTube or... You know, any of those that are third-party services, Facebook. Right. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, let's get a, a grand view. There you go. Yay. So this can be found. If you ever want to check out where our viewers are watching from, hey, especially if you're a potential advertiser, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, head on over to map.cat5.tv. It's as simple as that, map.cat5.tv. And this software will come right up in your browser. There you it go. Is so cool. Even on the eastern coast of China and South Korea and Japan. Like, we're kind of all over the place. And I just love how global Category 5 has become. So what's funny is that people say to me, they're like, how come you're not nervous when you're doing the show? And I'm like, I'm just talking to the chat room. We're fine. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Sasha. Oh, I didn't mean to show you this. And now I'm like, my oh, hands Oh, should we have saved sweaty. this until after the yeah. show? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> we don't log views from the space station. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. As we, uh, as we kick off Season 12, this is our second week of Season 12. Uh, it's lovely to see everybody joining us. We do have to take a really quick break. And when we come back, speaking of our viewer base, we're going to be taking a look at some of the comments that have come in this week. Don't go anywhere. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. Welcome back, everyone. We've got your viewer comments that have come in over the past week or so, and we're just going to jump right into them. Okay. Um, first of all, last week we looked at taking LibreOffice Writer and, and the LibreOffice Suite, which is a free alternative to Microsoft Office. We looked at taking it and making it look and feel much more like its commercial counterpart, Microsoft Office. Right. So we've got a lot of great feedback from that. We'll start off with, um, with uh, Marshman's comment. Okay. 
Marshman says, I am running Debian Stretch with LibreOffice 6.1, so get the MS look to LibreOffice was... So to get the MS look to LibreOffice, the last step is slightly different. Instead of going to the toolbar layout, which does not exist, select user interface and then tabbed. This would get you an Office 2013 look. Very good. Okay, so, so you guys hear that? So if you're on version 6.1 of LibreOffice, well, the, the, the tutorial is going to be just a little bit different, as Marshman is saying mm -hmm. there. You're not going to find that same toolbar that we saw in version 6.0 point whatever it was. Um, you're going to click on user interface and then tabbed. And again, exactly. That's going tabbed. to get you there. So thank you to Marshman for sending that in. Arcade. <laughs> I love these kinds of names. Like R dot K A D E. Arcade says uh, about that same video. With most monitors being widescreen, 16 over 9, some being even wider at 21.9, uh, I much prefer LibreOffice's sidebar, the default kind of set up, mm -hmm. uh, to the huge amount of vertical uh, real estate that Microsoft Office's ribbon takes up. I think, I think we mean horizontal, like that, that, that horizontal bar up at the top. Mm -hmm. um, Arcade says, uh, in addition, uh, I, I like, well, I like that better than the, uh, than, I like the, sidebar, the sidebar better, better than, the than the top ribbon. And that makes sense to okay. me, actually. Yeah. Right. I think that's kind of one of the great things about being able to customize LibreOffice. Yeah. Trying to get the thoughts together here, folks. But um, I can I can switch it to look like Microsoft Office with the tabbed bar if I want to. But I might say, you know what? That's the one feature I don't like exactly. about Microsoft Office, right? So I can keep with the sidebar, which on a widescreen monitor, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We encountered this tonight with your laptop. You've got the 16 over 9 display, and you brought up Discord. And what happened? I had a little pop-up that showed up, and I couldn't escape it. Can't reach the X because the X was actually outside was of the like frame here. of the the monitor, which is kind of right that's bad UX Discord, right. uh, Discord. Um, but so with this sort of situation that Arcade is saying, like if you have the side tabs in in a case mm -hmm. like my laptop, that or makes even more just sense. the little bar at the top. Yeah, you don't have to do all of the things. I right. mean, you're obviously in LibreOffice because you know that it's a free and b a little bit better. Mm. But <laughs> so, is it all right? Yeah. I didn't say it. So, I you don't need to do all of the things that make it like. Windows or like Microsoft yeah. Office. You I think we like, pointed out three or four yeah. ways that you can tweak it, but you don't have to take all of them. Exactly. Now, the other approach that I take, and just so you're aware, Arcade, you mentioned the monitor being 16 over 9. Now, our laptops, it's obviously not practical to do this, but on my desktop computer, my 16 over 9 monitor is actually turned vertical. So I have right. a very tall monitor, and it's narrow. And to me... It better represents the shape of a sheet of paper. basically legal paper, right. legal-sized paper. Um, so if you take this piece of paper, that's basically 4 over 3. So if you take a 4 over 3 monitor and you turn it sideways, now you've got this nice piece of paper kind of mm -hmm. looking shape on your desk. So uh, yeah, doesn't work for a laptop, but completely works for a desktop. I absolutely love it. So when I'm coding, I've got a vertical display in front of me, and it's like a piece of paper in front of me as far as the form factor goes. And you wouldn't believe how many people, when they see that, they're like, what a cool monitor. And I'm like, it's just a normal monitor. <laughs> I just turn it on its side. Right. And again, it comes down to 
why don't we take that approach of customizing it for our own use, be it the software or the hardware? What's to stop you from turning your monitor on its side? And if your monitor doesn't turn on its side by default, buy a different stand for it. They all have those four screw holes on the back. You can buy what's called a VESA stand and make it so that it stands vertical. Yeah, actually, at my work, some of of us have our monitors turned sideways and some don't. Y'all have computer screens that are like this big, though. I know, my computer screen, I can actually step into it. Like, it's so big. That's amazing. So (laughs) do they turn those vertical? Um, some of us do, not all of us. Oh, they're, they yes. pivot. Yes, they pivot. Oh, so can uh, you imagine like a 55 inch TV basically? Well, <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Dave and I use our TV, right? As our, mo- our computer monitor. Oh, at so home. At okay. home, right? Well, yours is like 65 inches though. I know, so it's that would be, It would touch the roof. <laughs> Could you amazing. imagine? That would be cool. Although you couldn't watch movies on it at that point. It would be kind of weird. You'd have big black bars. Yeah, yeah. But for computing... It would work for computers. It would be nuts. <laughs> Life-sized shooter <laughs> games. <laughs> Do we have more? Yes. Payman Z says, Windows is really, is really superior to desktop Linux. Linux is full of bugs. Okay. Linux is, is free. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to. <laughs> so Payman Z says that Windows is so much better because Linux is full of bugs. Now, Payman gets paid. This from someone (laughs) who apparently has been living under a rock during the month of October 2018. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay. So let's think back to Windows Update 1809. What happened when 1809 came out? It deleted people's files. So remember, Microsoft Windows now updates itself and you can't stop it. So it literally just updates itself and you come back and all of a sudden it's, oh, look, my computer's updated today. Your server went down because of it. Right. People's files were deleted. And then, same month, one week later, Microsoft fixed this bug and re-released the patch, which three days after they released it, they realized it was deleting files and so they pulled it. They re-released it with a fixed version and HP computer users got a blue screen of death. I want to work there. I feel so like they you can get, make mistakes, so no these, problem. So I have an HP computer, and, <laughs> and now all of a sudden I get to work, and my computer's just sitting there with a WDF violation. Well, what the heck does that mean? Right. This is Windows. I, it worked yesterday. I had all my stuff open. Now I've got a WDF violation. So it turns out Microsoft's new update caused a conflict of some sort, a crash with the... HP keyboard drivers. Right. What? It's crazy, actually. Back it up a little bit. So the, I'm just saying, Payman Z, because you said Windows is not buggy and, and Linux is. So let's back it up a little bit. Same thing. Let's look at that HP driver. How did that HP driver get in? <gasps> that HP driver came in previously in a Windows update. <laughs> the very HP keyboard driver that is now causing HP computers to blue screen of death on boot, which means they cannot turn on their computers, just a blue screen. I'm just, just saying. Right. What I love is every news feed. So I get my like Google news feed in the uh-huh. morning and like Almost every page in my articles is like how to undo the things that your window update has done. 
Like it's, oh. it's all like. See, but that can be dangerous. You've got to be able to trust that the updates are safe, but we're losing trust people in have, Microsoft. Exactly. Sure. People have lost their audio from this update. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy the things that But having happened. your files deleted? Okay, so that, now okay. let's look at the Linux side of things. Yeah. Years ago, years ago, it happened. A, a Linux update broke a bunch of people's bootloaders. There was a problem in the Grub bootloader, and it broke the ability to boot the computer. It was fairly easy to fix, but you had to have another computer to be able to fix. get online and find the fix and get up and running. Right. Okay, so that was a problem. Linux has a different approach to Microsoft in that it's open source. What that means is it's a community-based thing. So if Sasha and I uh, could represent Linux for just a moment. So you and I are the Linux development team. Okay. So I have shown up and I've said, okay, I'm going to add this update to Linux today. Okay. And then Sasha comes in and she notices that what I'm about to do is going to break something. What does she do? I say, oh, Robbie, that's going to break something. Uh huh. And oh, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm going to fix that before we push it out. So now think about Linux as a thousand plus people doing exactly that. So when an update is about to occur, it first goes through this process of over a thousand people in the community. These are not people who work for a particular company. These are thousands of people who are looking at it and saying, oh, that could actually cause a problem. It happened where um, one programmer tried to inject some malware into Linux, and the the developers said, oh, someone's trying to inject malware. They removed that. They decommitted it on GitHub and removed it before it went out to computers. So it's a whole different approach, but I think if I was to look at Windows versus Linux with that perspective that was presented to us in this comment, right. I would have to give it to Linux, especially yes. here in October 2018. <laughs> yes. It has its flaws. Everything does. Windows does too. Linux, you may have trouble running certain things. Windows, I similarly have trouble running certain things. So it's really, you know, what's that? Thank you for your comment. Thank you for your comment. (laughs) Appreciate it very much. Okay, Charles Seal. Uh, Here's a good one. A pro Linux user. Yes. Says, I've been using Linux Mint 19 for several weeks now, and I have never been happier with an operating system. I've been developing for Linux servers for years, and I've been doing so on a Linux laptop using Red Hat and the KDE desktop, but I was never quite happy enough with it to make it my primary computer. So I stuck with the Mac. Oh, here's another end of the spectrum right here. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Recently, though, I bought a little uh, Meerkat from System76. This is a computer manufacturing company. Um, Removed the Ubuntu uh, with the GNOME desktop um, distribution that came with it, uh, which I really didn't like. And I loaded Mint 19. I was blown away. I can do all the fun stuff and all the serious stuff on one computer, including all my web and database development, graphics, video editing, you name it, I think it's time to repurpose my Mac. That comes to us from Charles Seal. Now, I've yet to find a good video editor, one that meets my needs uh, on Linux. Right. And so I'll give, you know, uh, Linux, fantastic. I use it for all my development. It's the best for development, hands down. I mentioned my vertical monitor. It's running Linux. And I've got Adam up on the screen 24-7 and uh, GIMP. 
2.10 up on the screen, running in the background or in the foreground, and that's where I do all of my uh, all my coding, all right. of my web development, all of my software development, everything. The one thing that I have not found a happy place with in Linux is the video editing. But that's okay. Exactly. I switch back and forth between Linux and Windows here and there exactly. as I need to because each has its place. Thank you very much to everybody for sending in your comments this week. Uh, you can do that through our website, Category5.tv. You can also um, comment below if you're watching this on YouTube or Vimeo or on our website, Category5.tv. Right. You could also really just comment right in the chat room. Get into Discord. Yeah. Yep. Find the Discord invite. If you go to our website, Category5.tv, click on Interact, and you'll find our Discord invite there. Uh, we do have to take a really quick break. When we come back, I'm going to be unboxing probably one of the coolest single board computers that I've seen. It's about the same form factor as a Pine A64, but it's got six cores and four gigs of RAM. And to boot, it has PCI Express. Don't go anywhere. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. All right, folks, we've looked at Pine 64 products in the past, and tonight, this week, is no different except for one thing. This is the Rock Pro 64 single board computer. Well, this is the box for it. Should we open Sesame? These unboxings are really simple because there's just not a lot in the box. That's it. The Rock Pro 64 is, in fact, the most powerful single board computer from Pine 64. Uh, I'm going to tell you all about it. This is strictly an unboxing. It's not a product demonstration tonight, although we will be um, demonstrating it for you. Uh, we've got tape. And the immediate thing that I notice is that, uh, Marshman, I do not have my box cutters, but I do have access to scissors. There we go. So have your scissors handy, folks. And there it is. At the same form factor as the A64 from Pine64, this one is massive. I mean, as far as specifications go, you ready for this? It has an RK3399 hexacore 64-bit processor. So that's, uh, it has two ARM Cortex-A72 chips and a quad-core ARM Cortex-A53. So... To simplify that, this single board computer has six cores of processing power. It also has a Mali uh, T860 quad-core GPU. Let's see where the output is here on the board. There it is. We've got a full-sized HDMI. Now, this will provide 4K video at 60 frames per second on a single board computer. 
unbelievable. It comes in two models. One is two gigabytes. This one is a four gigabyte. So that's the onboard RAM. Um, that is L LPDDR4. Uh, it also has 128 megabytes, uh, or uh, 128 megabit SPI boot flash. Uh, it's got a micro SD slot here on the bottom. That's for booting. And of course, what we would expect from a high-end SBC like this is the uh, EMMC port. So the EMMC will take up to 128 gigabytes. And that is, uh, we've clocked these boards running about four times as fast with the EMMC. So if you use that for your hard drive instead of the, uh, the micro SD, you're going to get about four times the performance out of your operating system from, from my preliminary tests anyways. We have one USB 3 port full size. Uh, we've got a, a type A a USB 3 as well. Um, we've got our type C at the bottom here. We've got two USB two ports and these are all dedicated hosts as well. So it's not pulling from the, um, ethernet, which is gigabit ethernet. There you go. And you'll notice as well, there is no Wi-Fi chip on the board. However, like, um, other Pine 64 boards that we've looked at, it has um, a riser card, that you, uh, basically a module that will add Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, and all you have to do is simply plug that in, and we've looked at that uh, component before as well. As I mentioned, it's got true gigabit Ethernet, so that's not shared with the USB bus like a Raspberry Pi is, um, so it's true gigabit Ethernet. That's going to make it pretty reasonable for a NAS or something like that. And speaking of, one of the things that really excites me about this board, and I think, Sasha, that this is probably the thing that is making me excited about the Rock Pro 64, is that we have an X4 PCI Express open-ended slot. So presumably, I can plug in a card that's actually longer than uh, than X4. Uh, you've got to be able to power it, so if you're plugging a video card in there, for example, uh, you probably don't want to be drawing the power from the board itself. Um, power is 12 volts, and it's going to take a 3 amp. Um, if you're not really plugging anything into it, uh, you might want to go with a 5 amp um, adapter for that if you were going to be plugging something into the PCI Express. So what you can do with this, of course, with PCI Express is the first time I've ever seen it on a single board computer. Mm -hmm. um, you can plug in, um, for example, storage peripherals, a RAID controller, things like that, making it really a, a great solution for a true NAS. I have an NVMe card here. Um, that we use periodically and and so I'm just gonna I want to see what this is going to look like if I plug this card into right. my single board computer and there ah. you go can you imagine it's a it's an SBC folks so think along the terms of a Raspberry Pi and uh, you know just to put it into perspective a single board computer that is only gonna cost about $80 and it has X4 PCI Express I'm eager to try all the different things that I can do with that. Yeah. I'm not sure what we can do with that, but we're going to play around with that. I've got some GPU risers. We're going to have a lot of fun um, seeing what kind of throughput we can get, seeing what kind of thing we can do with, say, um, GPU mining on this board, for example. Um, so that is pretty sleek. Um, 
Beyond that, of course, we've got the GPIO Pi 2 style. Uh, we've got uh, MIPI DSI interface, EDP interface, touch panel interface. We've got all, look at all these connectors here for, for different uh, peripherals. We've got uh, UART, SPI, I2C. Uh, so if you're a maker, you want to add some other per peripherals or sensors, um, it's definitely got the hookups for it. And again, the full GPIO at the top here. But that PCI Express, that is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> One final mention here. This board is LTS, which in this particular case represents long-term supply. So that means Pine64 is committed to supplying these boards for at least five years. We're going to see them right through 2023 and possibly beyond. Uh, so that is fantastic. You're, you're investing in a board that is going to be supported and available for years to come. Really excited to plug this in. We're going to be looking at this over the, uh, the next couple of weeks. That is the Rock Pro 64, available in both 2 gig and this one, the, the 4 gig uh, RAM model. Check it out. It's six cores, and you can get one at cat5.tv slash pine64. I'm going to throw this back to Sasha in the newsroom. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category5.tv newsroom. If you're one of the victims of the recently revealed hack of Facebook, you should be extra careful on the internet and extra watchful of your other online and offline accounts. Someone has reportedly siphoned personal information on 30,000 or more U.S. Department of Defense workers. The UK government wants to secure smart home gadgets, and someone used a deep learning AI to perfectly insert Harrison Ford into Solo, a Star Wars story. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. Right. Yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. If you're one of the victims of the recently revealed hack of Facebook, you should be extra careful on the internet and extra watchful of your other online and offline accounts. The data hackers gleaned from the social network could be used for identity theft and to access accounts ranging from those at banks and other financial institutions to online stores. It could also be used in so-called spear phishing attacks in which hackers use the information they know about particular users to send them personalized messages that convince them to leak their passwords or other critical data. Some 30 million accounts were compromised in the attack, which Facebook first announced three weeks ago. 
The hackers were able to gain access to names and phone numbers of nearly all of those users, as well as personal details such as birth dates, relationship status, gender, and education and work histories for 14 million of them. This data can potentially be used to hijack accounts on other services besides Facebook as well. The password reset feature on many sites asks users to answer certain security questions. Those questions often ask for just the kind of personal details that were revealed in the Facebook hack. But it's not just online accounts that are at risk. Information such as names and birth dates can also be used to gain access to banking accounts or medical records over the phone. You can find out whether you were affected by the Facebook attack by logging into your account and by going to a security page the company has set up. We've created a hot link for you at cat5.tv slash fbhack. Okay. Wow. I didn't even think of the fact that this information could be used for um, for gaining access to other sites. Right. This leads me to like an incredible real life story as far as I had myself locked out of my bank account okay. because I have a really incredibly long password that I... Oh, yeah. You mentioned this right? to me. You're right. So I... I just locked myself out with too many attempts because I was trying to actually manually type in, which I should never do. I should use my actual password manager all of the time. And when I called into the bank, to, and I said, when I, when I called them, I was like, I just need to prove to you who I am. Ask me a series of questions. I used to work at this bank, so I, <laughs> I know the questions they're going to ask me anyway. Yeah. Ask me a series of questions, and I'll answer them. You can unlock my account, and I can log in. And the person on the phone said, I suggest you use a weaker password oh. or a less complicated password. He didn't say can just banks come on so i had the bank tell me two different banks told me twice in the past week to use internet explorer yeah ah so now facebook has had you know facebook users have had their data taken yeah. right it's stolen and then people are calling the banks perhaps I, i'm not saying maybe. this happened yet but maybe and they're asking answering the questions exactly that the bank is trained to ask yep. and and that's crummy. <laughs> when I was a kid, I wasn't the most honest kid. Okay. I got a hold of my brother's bank book. <gasps> and I know all the answers to his questions. Right. And they didn't, they didn't, ask, they didn't think that anything. Yeah, yeah he knows the answers. He's his brother. Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. Sorry, bro. It, yeah, it's just crummy that now you have to, if you have Facebook, you have to be careful of absolutely everything. Now, I mean, you mm -hmm. can go to our link and see whether or not you were in fact affected. Cat5.tv slash FB hack will take you there. Now, whether or not you're affected, I, it, this is something that maybe we don't really think on how this can happen. Because if I've got connections like my mom on Facebook and my mom's account. Now, we're, we're not quite there yet, but certainly the next generation, mm -hmm. there is a historical data right. of even the parental roles. So my wife, for example, before she was Ferguson on Facebook, she was her maiden name. Right. Because we're from the generation where Facebook existed when we were teenagers. Right. So the next generation, my kids, 
now, all of a sudden, so think of that generation and that data is gleaned and my daughter has a bank account. And, you know, the first question that the bank might ask is, what's your mother's maiden name? That is one of the questions. That is one of the questions. And that is e easily gleaned for that generation if her, if her account is hacked. Right. And it's not her account that was hacked. It was Facebook's data that was hacked. And now that information is available to those hackers. So, so... It's not even necessarily that they're calling the banks. They can use the online banking service. Mm -hmm. It's like I say to folks, like, the very most important password for you to protect is your email. Because what happens when you forget your password somewhere else? Mm -hmm. You click forgot password. And guess what happens next? The email. You get an email. I know. So if your email account has been compromised, the first thing you need to do is change your email on every service that you have. Right. But it's a similar situation where if they know the answers to the dummy questions, what's the name of your dog? What's your favorite teacher's name? Mm -hmm. Well, I liked all the photos of my favorite teacher and, and told her that she's a great teacher on Teacher's Day. Maybe even said, this is my favorite teacher. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So all that information is now available for a, a whole different kind of social engineering attack that can happen behind the scenes before we even know it's even happening. Mm-hmm. We're not taking a phone call. The bank's not even taking a phone call. It's all electronic. It's scary. And you have to be very skeptical of absolutely everything now. <laughs> the Foo recommends that when you get those questions, enter a lie. Right. Well, I have <laughs> to lie. And I'll be truthful. Oh, well, your computer at work, I set that up for you. I know. And I had someone call me once and said, I don't know what color monkeys are. <laughs> Do you, were you in on that conversation? Oh, my goodness. I, it's I don't know what color monkeys are. <laughs> I've tried everything. I tried brown. I tried black. Orange. It has nothing to do with the answer. Not at all. Nothing at all. When I get those questions, I'm like mashing the keypad with my palms. Like, I don't want these questions. If I ever forget my password, well, then I'm going to have to deal with that. I'm not going to forget my password. And That's good. Yeah. I have to lie about them anyway I because I can't, what spell. Color monkeys I can't are. spell orangutan and that's my favorite animal. So oh, brilliant. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, true yeah, story. Yeah. True story. What can you do? <laughs> Someone has reportedly siphoned personal information on 30,000 or more U.S. Department of Defense workers. According to anonymous sources at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., an unnamed individual was able to access department travel records earlier this year and would have been able to log employees' submitted personal information, such as names, dates of birth, and credit card numbers. Both military and civilian workers are believed to have been caught up in the theft and the current estimates sit at roughly 30,000 people having their records exposed to miscreants, with that number set to climb as the investigation continues. The data theft is said to have occurred not within the Pentagon itself, but rather within a third-party vendor it uses to book travel. The vendor was not identified. Word of the data spill comes as the DOD is looking to kick off a major reorganization of its IT operations with the awarding of the 10-year, 10... -year, 10 $10 billion JEDI contract program. Cloud vendors are being asked to put together proposals that would see a single vendor get the task of creating a new cloud system to handle operations for the entire department. That an outside vendor would be tangled up in the theft of personally sensitive information just as the Pentagon looks to offload the bulk of its agency and employee data to another third party with JEDI is not particularly looking good.
still a mere 30,000 personnel records would actually be a huge improvement from the government's worst data fumble, the 20 million plus records stolen by Chinese hackers in the 2015 OPM mega hack. I think if this shows us anything, it's a if I think for a moment that, oh, I'm not going to sign up for Facebook or I'm going to close my Facebook account because I heard they, you know, right. uh, I don't want my data out there. These are DOD staff members. Yeah, they think this. Yeah. They're not necessarily on Facebook. No. So if you think, oh, man, this is just the world we live in. Exactly. You just have to just know that oh, boy. it's out there. People are... People are siphoning information. I think that's from the you. unfortunate truth is that yeah. our data is out there anyways. Yeah. I, I said to my wife because she has a family member who is vehemently opposed to Facebook right now because of all the things that are happening with data breaches and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I said, what they don't realize is every time they pay with their credit card, every time they pay with their debit card, they're being tracked anyways. Right. Those transactions are now tied to your person. They know where you shop. They know where you go, what mm-hmm. time you're there. They know your trends. They know that's why they do it. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just the truth. Why do you think that the grocery store in town now has a points program? Because they can keep track of what you're spending and what you're doing. Exactly. And then they provide targeted <laughs> advertising. Yeah. They and actually it, do that. And it works. It, it's it, how the world works now. So yeah. we just have to get We have used to kind of accept that, but be smart about it. Exactly. We ha- just have to get used to it. And we have to be protective of our very important information. We have to be skeptical when outside sources come in looking to us for things. Maybe that's like, it. Right? But then we also have to think about the people who pretend to be us out there in the world. And that's the, that's the step that I have a lot of trouble with because i can't control that as easily yeah right it could already be out there and i think that's where regulations have to come into place or Mm -hmm. guidelines have to come into place with regards to security because companies and we've had this discussion about the gentleman who had their bitcoin stolen because their phone company had allowed someone to do a sim swap fraud and it comes down to that staff member who allowed it to happen right well, they didn't authenticate that this was really the person right. coming in and doing a SIM swap, which was basically gave this person coming in and pretending to be the other person access to their phone service, mm-hmm. switched it over to them. <laughs> you just, Those kinds of things can't happen anymore. Yeah. Because our data, our confidential personal information is so tied to our accounts and our devices. Yeah, it's... It's a, it's a whole mental swap we have to do, really. We have to really change the way we think about absolutely every step of the process. Mm. So, I mean, knowledge is power, and that's why we do these news stories, even though they seem really disheartening at times. Yeah, it's not it's meant like, to be dark or I know, spooky, but we gotta, we got to be realistic, and we gotta, we got to kind of educate ourselves. Yeah, and, this is preventative information for you. And I think you hit the nail on the head of being more skeptical of those who pretend to be third parties because as soon as they have information about our accounts we're more willing to give them more information right because someone will call us or someone will approach us or send us a letter that looks all official and has official information when i get a bill from my internet company i don't question it i just pay it right well what if it's not really my 
internet company, right? To put a real easy spin on it. Well, if I can give you a, just a quick example of something that's happened to me this week, which is funny because like you're in my mind now. I was I have this project for school, so I'm googling all these images that I that I'm perhaps needing for my project, and I'm clicking on them, but they're Pinterest images, and I don't have Pinterest, right? So mm. I'm in Google and right. I'm signed into Google, right? But I'm clicking and I'm like, oh, I don't have Pinterest and I don't want Pinterest, right. so I just like X out of them and go mm -hmm. to something else. Well, today in my email, I had an email from Pinterest. Well, click here, and I thought, I don't have Pinterest. How mm. do they know? Like, I'm not just clicking and signing into this app thing, right? right? Yeah. I mean, probably it's just because I was in Google on my profile, and they're linked somehow. I don't know. They probably own each other. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I now, like, I don't open emails like that that I think, hmm, if I want Pinterest, I will pursue you, right? I won't, I won't open an email from somebody who is, like, my bank, right? right. Yeah, you've got to be really wary of that, I, even if it looks official. Yeah, I will go to you. You don't need to come to me. Yeah. Thank you. I don't need to click your links. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. And speaking of regulations, perhaps helping with the security of our data? Yes. We've jumped right into our next story. The UK government wants to secure smart home gadgets. Makers of smart home devices are being encouraged to make their gadgets secure against hack attacks. The UK has published a voluntary code of practice for manufacturers that show how they can proof their creations against common attacks. It aims to stop gadgets being hijacked and used to mount cyber attacks and stamp out designs that let cyber thieves steal data. The government initiative is aimed at makers of small, smart gadgets for the home, such as web-connected doorbells, cameras, toys, and burglar alarms, the so-called Internet of Things. An increasing number of cyber attacks exploit poor security on these gadgets. The detailed code includes 13 separate steps manufacturers can take to produce more secure products. The steps include securely storing customer data, regularly updating software, requiring users to choose stronger passwords, making it easier for users to delete data and reset a device, as well as setting up a vulnerability disclosure policy. Two companies so far, HP and Hive Centrica, have agreed to follow the code. Excellent. Okay, well, this is a step in the right direction, exactly. I must say. Yeah, so the Internet of Things, we talked about this a little bit last week as well. Mm -hmm. It's really easy just to go with your default passwords. That's if, it, yeah. Right? So and manufacturers bringing out, we mentioned, like 10,000 of the same device and putting the same password on every single one. Right. Because so it's just easy to flash the firmware, right? Exactly. So the UK putting this out is actually really timely and great practice. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... It's voluntary, from what I understand. That's the thing. And some would say, maybe this shouldn't be voluntary. Maybe this should be law. Mm -hmm. Maybe this should be enforced. Maybe these rules should be put in place by the government and forcefully applied to companies. Right. But I think my take on it, Sasha, is, is it not a good step in the right direction? Is it not a good guide for companies to start? And, and I really want them to like tackle this. Yes. To, to wake up and say, okay, these are, these are some good rules to follow. I'm going to start it. So now we see HP saying, yeah, we're going to follow this. So now me, as a consumer, I can personally feel a little more confident in purchasing a smart home device from HP. Right. So it has this added benefit of 
okay, well, I as a company, if I adopt these security policies that government has laid out for us to voluntarily adopt, Mm -hmm. now the consumer has gained confidence in our practices and it's better for our business. Exactly. Consumer confidence is all you you really need as a a company, Mm -hmm. right? So say there are, you know, five different companies and two of the five have adopted these these practices i'm not even going to shop with the other three absolutely right i agree so it just makes sense i mean maybe it's too costly for them to make it a law i i'm not quite sure how it goes but if if they have this as a voluntary thing it makes sense to me that companies would actively pursue following these recommendations and Mm -hmm. these steps because it's really going to benefit them in the long run will will it eventually become common sense Will it eventually get to the point where no company has to be told by legislation that their device needs a username and password to log in? Right. And now, even more so, two-factor authentication is becoming more predominant as well. Yes. So no company needs to be told that their interface needs a password. No, they just, that's, duh. Yeah. So does it need to be legislation? Maybe not. Maybe it needs to become common practice and to the point where we consumers would say they don't even use a password that's stupid (laughs) i don't want people to be able to access my network so i'm not going to buy that can you imagine a burglar alarm having like a default like just generic i can because it's real I can ah. because it's real, Sasha. So, okay, I don't have a burglar alarm, uh-huh. right? But uh-huh. if I did, I would assume I was secure. You would hope. <laughs> I would you hope. You would really, really hope, but it's not always the case. No, I guess not. <laughs> this is where I sign up to be a pilot, right? Someone used a deep learning AI to perfectly insert Harrison Ford into Solo, a Star Wars story. Casting anyone other than Harrison Ford in the role of Han Solo just feels like sacrilege. But since Ford is now 76 years old, playing a younger version of himself would be all but impossible. Or at least impossible if you rely on the standard Hollywood de-aging tricks like makeup and CG. Artificial intelligence, it turns out, does a pretty amazing job of putting Ford back into the role of Solo. The YouTube channel Derp Fakes uses the deep fakes technique with free software and has been posting videos that demonstrate the impressive and at times frightening capabilities of image processing using artificial intelligence. Using a process called deep learning, an AI analyzes a large collection of photos of a given person, creating a comprehensive database of them in almost any position and pose, it then uses that database to intelligently perform an automatic face replacement on a source clip. In this case, replacing actor Alden Enrich Enrich's face with Harrison Ford's. As we've seen before, like when deep learning was used to erase actor Henry Cavalli's Justice League mustache, the results are not only good, they're actually better than the visual trickery that Hollywood visual effects studios are capable of. That is nuts. And it just is one of those things where it's like, okay, once again, fan films and fan fan creations are doing more than what they're able to do in the studio it's unbelievable it's amazing it feels too cool it feels like it's something attainable like we can do that now yeah i I, the technology is you've got to be good at it like Mm -hmm. these derp fakes are so pro at using this software but um 
it would be so much fun. Like, we have how much footage on Category 5? Like, could we, could we be, like, superheroes or something in, like, yes. the next big movie? Yes, we could. Somebody make it happen. Somebody in the community, please make it happen. All right. Before we round up uh, tonight, here are the crypto market looks, uh, outlooks as of 1,700 hours um, when we recorded the show Eastern Time on Wednesday, October 17th. 2018, according to CoinGecko, Bitcoin hit $6,664.68 US. Uh, Litecoin is trailing at $54.60. Ethereum is at $210.39. Monero is at $108.11. Stellite at 6.63 thousandths of a cent. <laughs> and trailing even further behind that is TurtleCoin. Slowly but surely, at 0.32 ten thousandths of a cent. Remember, the cryptocurrency market never closes, and it is always volatile. That's all the time that we have. Wow. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. Thank you so much for joining us this week, everybody. Nice to see the chat room. Nice to see our Discord all active. And uh, we appreciate everybody watching and participating in the live show. If you are watching this on demand or on cable TV, just note that you can actually tune in through our website, through our YouTube channel, through our Facebook channel. Head on over to Category5.tv to find out how and when. If you scroll down to the very bottom of the page, you'll see local show times. And uh, you'll be able to actually check, based on your time zone, when you can tune in live and participate in the live chat room. Now, that said, it's been pretty active 24-7 throughout it's, the course of the week. Yes, it's been incredible. Everybody's in there. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get in and communicate with the, uh, with the other community members, uh, we'd encourage you to do that. Head on over to category5.tv. Thank you, everybody, for such a fun time tonight, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Now, just a heads up, we've got some shifting in the co-host position over the next few weeks. Jeff is away at the moment. He is on a trip to America, and so we're bringing America to us. Marshman is going to be making the trek up from New York and co-hosting with us next week. You don't want to miss the show. We'll see you then. It's going to be so awesome.